volume two chapter seven and eight of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain seven ah love there is no better life than this justina had made a success at the royal albert theatre the newspapers were tolerably unanimous in their verdict the more aesthetic and critical journals even gave her their approval which was a kind of cachet the public always straightforward and single-minded in their expression of satisfaction had no doubt about her she was accepted at once as one of the most popular and promising young actresses of the day natural yet artistic free from all trick unaffected modest yet with the impulsive boldness of a true artist who forgets alike herself and her audience in the unalloyed delight of her art a success so unqualified gave the girl extreme pleasure and elevated matthew algood to a region of bliss which he had never before attained for the first time in his life he found himself supplied with ample means for the gratification of desires which at their widest came within a narrow limit the manager of the royal albert theatre had made haste to be liberal lest other managers ever on the watch for rising talent should attempt to lure justina to their boards by offers of larger reward he sprang his terms at once from the weekly three guineas which matthew had gladly accepted at the outset to double that amount and promised further increase if miss elgood's second part were as successful as the first with a very young actress one can never be sure of one's ground he said diplomatically the part in no cards just fits your daughter i've no idea what she may be in the general run of business i've seen so many promising first appearances lead to nothing my daughter has had experience and tuition from an experienced actor sir replied matthew with dignity she has a perfect knowledge of her art and the more you call upon her the better stuff you will get from her such a part as that in no cards is a mere bagatelle for her fits her indeed it fits her too well sir her genius has no room to expand in it six guineas by no means a large income in the eyes of a pater familias with a wife and a servant or two and a nest full of small children to provide for to say nothing of the rent of the nest to pay seemed wealth to mr elgood whose ideas of luxury were bounded by a bloomsbury lodging a hot dinner every day and his glass of gin and water mixed with a liberal hand he expanded himself in this new sunshine passed his leisure in spelling through the daily papers escorting his daughter to and from the theatre and hanging about the green-room where he told anecdotes of macready bragged of justina's talents when she was out of the room and made himself generally agreeable that bloomsbury lodging of mr elgood's though located in the shabbier quarter of the parish seemed curiously near that highly respectable street where maurice clissold had his handsome first-floor chambers so little account did mr clissold make of the distance between the two domiciles he was always dropping in at mr elgood's bringing justina fresh flowers from the glades of covent garden or a new book or some new music she had improved her knowledge of that delightful art during the last two years and now played and sang sweetly with taste and expression that charmed the poet before justina had been many weeks at the albert theatre it became an established fact that mr clissold was to drink tea with miss elgood every afternoon the gentle temptations of the kettledrum which he had resisted so bravely in eaton square beguiled him here in bloomsbury though the simple feast was held on a second floor with a french mechanic working sedulously at his trade below many an hour did maurice clissold waste in careless happy talk in that second-floor sitting-room with its odour of stale tobacco its shabby old-fashioned furniture its all-pervading air of poverty and commonness 
the room was glorified for him somehow as he sat by the sunny window sipping an infusion of congou and pico out of a blue delft teacup one day it struck him suddenly that justina ought to have prettier teacups and a few days afterwards there arrived a set of curious old dragon china cups and saucers he had not gone to a china shop like a rich man and ordered the newest and choicest ware that minton's factory had produced but he had walked half over london and peered into all manner of obscure dens in the broker's shop-line till he found something to please him old red and blue sprawling monsters of the crocodile species on thinnest opalescent porcelain cups and saucers that had been hoarded and cherished by ancient housekeepers only surrendered when all that life can cling to slipped from death's dull hand the old fragile pottery pleased him beyond measure and he carried the cups and saucers off to a cab packed in a basket of paper shavings and took them himself to justina i don't suppose they are worth very much nowadays when oriental china is at a discount he said and they cost me the merest trifle but i thought you'd like them justina was enraptured those old cups and saucers were the first present she had ever received the first actual gift bestowed out of regard for her pleasure which she could count in all her life except the same donor's offerings of books and music how good of you she said more than once and with a look worth three times as many words maurice laughed at her delight it was worth my perambulation of london to see you so pleased he said what did you take so much trouble to get them i walked a good long way the only merit my offering has is that i took some pains to find it i am not a rich man you know justina he called her by her christian name always with a certain brotherly freedom that was not unpleasant to either i am so glad of that she exclaimed naively glad i am not rich why that's scarcely friendly justina isn't it but if you were rich you wouldn't come to see us so often perhaps rich people have such hosts of friends yes croesus has generally a widish circle not the best people possibly but plenty of them but i don't think all the wealth of the indies the peacock throne of the great mogul and so on would make any difference in my desire to come here no justina were the chief of the rothschilds to transfer his balance to my account to-morrow i should drop in all the same for my afternoon refresher as regularly as five o'clock struck they had talked of literature and poetry and fully discussed that new poet whose book justina had wept over but by no word had maurice hinted at his identity with the writer he liked to hear her speculate upon that unknown poet wondering what he was like setting up her ideal image of him one day he made her describe what manner of man she imagined the author of a life picture but she found it difficult to reduce her fancies to words i cannot compliment you on the clearness of your delineation he said i haven't yet arrived at the faintest notion of your ideal poet if you could compare him to any one we know it might help me out is he like mr flittergilt the dramatist mr flittergilt she cried contemptuously mr flittergilt who is always making bad puns and talking of his own successes and telling us the clever remark he made yesterday not like flittergilt has he any resemblance to me for instance justina laughed and shook her head a very positive shake no you are too light-hearted for a poet you take life too easily you seem too happy in your presence justina you never see me in my normal condition remonstrated maurice laughing no i cannot fancy the author of that poem at all like you he is a man who has suffered maurice sighed 
and you think i have never suffered he must be a man who has loved a false and foolish woman and who has been stung to the quick by remorse for his own weakness ah we are all of us weak once in our lives and apt to be deceived justina happy the man who knows no second weakness and is not twice deceived he said this gravely enough for poet and thinker justina looked at him with a puzzled expression now you seem quite a different person she said i could almost fancy you capable of being a poet i know there are glimpses of poetry in your talk sometimes when i talk to you justina some people have an influence that is almost inspiration all manner of bright thoughts come to me when you and i are together that cannot be true she said it is you who bring the bright thoughts to me consider how ignorant i am and how much you know all the great world of poetry of which so many doors are barred against me you read goethe and schiller you go into that solemn temple where the greek poets live in their strange old world when you took me to the museum the other day you pointed out all the statues and talked of them as familiarly as if they had been the statues of your own friends while i who have hardly a schoolgirl's knowledge of french cannot even read that alfred de musset of whom you talk so much you know the language in which shakespeare wrote you have all that is noblest and grandest in human literature in your hand when you take up that calf-bound closely printed double-columned volume yonder from the old chiswick press i think an english writer who never read anything beyond his bible and his shakespeare would have a nobler style than the man of widest reading who had not those two books in his heart of hearts other poets are poets that one man was the god of poetry but we will read some of de musset's poems together justina and i will teach you something more than a schoolgirl's french after this it became an established thing for maurice and justina to read together for an hour or so just as it was an established thing for maurice to drop in at tea-time he made his selections from de musset discreetly and then passed on to victor hugo and thus that more valuable part of education which begins when a schoolgirl has been finished was not wanting to justina never was a pupil brighter or more intelligent never master more interested in his work matthew elgood looked on not unapprovingly in the first place he was a man who took life lightly and always held to the gospel text about the day and the evil thereof he had ascertained from good-natured mr flittergilt that maurice clissold had an income of some hundreds per annum and was moreover the scion of a good old family about the good old family matthew cared very little but the income was an important consideration and assured of that main fact he saw no harm in the growing intimacy between justina and maurice it's on the cards for her to do better of course reflected mr elgood actresses have married into the peerage before to-day and no end of them have married bankers and heavy mercantile swells but after all justina isn't the kind of beauty to take the world by storm and this success of hers may be only a flash in the pan i haven't much confidence in the duration of this blessed new school of acting these drawing-room comedies with their howdy do and won't you take a chair dialogue the good old heavy five-act drama will have its turn by and by when the public is tired of this milk and water and justina has hardly physique enough for the five-act drama it might be a good thing to get her comfortably married if i was quite clear about my own position that was an all-important question justina single and on the stage meant at a minimum six guineas a week at mr elgood's disposal 
the girl handed her salary over to the paternal exchequer without a question and was grateful for an occasional pound or two towards the replenishment of her scanty wardrobe mr elgood lost no time in trying to arrive at maurice's ideas upon the subject it's a hard thing for a man when he outlives his generation he remarked plaintively one sunday evening when maurice had dropped in and found the comedian alone justina not having yet returned from evening service at st pancras here am i in the prime of life with all my faculties in their full vigour laid up in port as useless a creature as if i were a sheer hulk like poor tom bowling actually dependent upon the industry of a girl there's something degrading in the idea if it were not for justina i'd accept an engagement for the heavies at the lowest slum in london roar my vitals out in three pieces a night rather than eat the bread of dependence but justina won't have it i want you to bring me home from the theatre of a night father she says and that's an argument i can't resist the streets of london are no place for unprotected innocence after dark and cabs are an expensive luxury yet it's a bitter thing to consider that if justina were to marry i should have to go to the workhouse hardly if she married an honest man mr elgood replied maurice no honest man would take your daughter away from you without making some provision for your future well i have looked at it in that light said matthew reflectively as if the question had thus dimly presented itself before him i think an honest man wouldn't feel it quite the right thing to take away my breadwinner and leave me to spend my declining days in want and misery yet as shakespeare has it age is unnecessary superfluous lags the veteran on the stage to have done is to hang quite out of fashion like a rusty nail in monumental mockery be assured mr elgood that if your daughter marries a man who really loves her your age will not be uncared for i do not wish to be a burden upon my child pursued the actor tearfully his second tumbler of gin and water was nearly emptied by this time a hundred and four pounds per annum two pounds a week secured to me would give me all i ask of luxury my lowly lodging say in may's court st martin's lane or somewhere between blackfriars bridge and the temple my rasher or my bloater for breakfast my beefsteak for dinner and my modest glass of gin and water hot to soothe the tired nerves of age these and an occasional ounce of tobacco are all the old man craves your desires are very modest mr elgood they are my dear boy i would bear the pang of severance from my sweet girl if i saw her ascend to a loftier sphere and keep my lowly place without repining but i should like the two pounds a week made as certain as the law of the land could make it this was a pretty clear declaration of his views and having thus expressed himself mr elgood allowed life to slip on pleasantly enjoying his comfortable little two o'clock dinners and his afternoon glass of gin and water and dozing in his easy-chair while maurice and justina read or talked only waking at five o'clock when the dragon teacups made a cheerful clatter and justina was prettily busy with the task of tea-making even the old common lodging-house sitting-room began by and by to assume a brighter and more homelike air a vase of choice flowers a row of books neatly arranged on the old-fashioned sideboard a bohemian glass inkstand clean muslin covers tacked over the faded chintz chairbacks small embellishments by which a woman makes the best of the humblest materials 
the dragon china tea service was set out on the chiffonnier top when not in use and made the chief ornament of the room composition statuettes of shakespeare and dante which maurice had bought from an itinerant image seller adorned the chimney-piece whence the landlady's shepherd and shepherdess were banished in a scene so humble in a circle so narrow maurice spent some of the happiest hours of his life he remembered cavendish square sometimes with a pang the shadowy drawing-room at twilight the flower-screened balcony so pleasant a spot to linger in when the lamps were lighted in the square below and the long vista of wigmore street converged to a glittering point and the moon rose above the gloomy roof of cavendish house hours of happiness as unalloyed dreams that were over days that were gone and he asked himself whether this second birth of joy was a delusion and a snare like the first eight love is a thing to which we soon consent maurice clissold had not forgotten that entry in the register of seacombe church and one afternoon when matthew justina and he were cosily seated at the clumsy old lodging-house table drinking tea he took occasion to refer to his rambles in cornwall and his exploration of the little out-of-the-way market-town i should fancy you children of thespis must have found life rather difficult at such a place as seacombe he said dramatic art must be rather out of the line of those nonconformist miners i saw three dissenting chapels in the small town one of them the very building which was once the theatre yes said mr elgood with a thoughtful look we had a bad time of it at seacombe my poor wife was ill and if it hadn't been for the kindness of the people we lodged with well we might have had a closer acquaintance with starvation than any man cares to make there's no such touchstone for the human heart as distress and no man knows the goodness of his fellow-men till he has sounded the lowest deep of misery you had a child christened at seacombe had you not mr elgood asked maurice the comedian looked up with a startled expression how did you know that he asked i was turning over the parish register looking for another entry when i stumbled across the baptism of a child of yours whose name was not justina i thought perhaps justina was an assumed name and that the infant christened at seacombe was miss elgood as the age seemed to correspond no replied matthew hurriedly that infant was an elder sister of justina's she died at six weeks old why father exclaimed justina you never told me that you lost a child at seacombe i did not even know i ever had a brother or sister i thought i was your only child the only one to live beyond infancy my dear why should i trouble you with the remembrance of past sorrows we have had cares enough without raking up dead and gone griefs was your wife a cornish woman mr elgood asked maurice no she was born within the sound of bow-bells poor soul her father was a bookbinder in clerkenwell she had a pretty voice and a wonderful ear for music and some one told her she would do very well on the stage her home was dull and poor and she felt she ought to earn her living somehow so she began to act at a little amateur theatre near coldbath fields and having a bright pretty way with her she got a good deal of notice and was offered an engagement to play small singing parts at sadler's wells i was a member of the stock company there at the time and her pretty little face and her pretty little ways turned my stupid head somehow and i told myself that two salaries thrown into one would go further than they would divided never considering that managers would want to strike a bargain with us lump us together on the cheap when we were married 
or that when two people are earning no salary it's harder for two to live than one well we married and lived a hard life afterwards but i was true to my poor girl and fond of her to the last and when hunger was staring us in the face we were not all unhappy justina is like her mother i suppose said maurice as she doesn't at all resemble you no replied matthew my wife was a pretty woman but not in justina's style what made you hit upon such an out-of-the-way name as justina mind i like the name very much but it is a very uncommon one mr algood looked puzzled i dare say it was a fancy of my wife's he said but i really don't recollect anything about it i'll tell you why i asked the question pursued maurice while i was in cornwall staying at a farm called borsal end i came across the name the comedian almost dropped his teacup borsal end he exclaimed you were at borsal end yes you know the place it seems but that's hardly strange since you lived so long at seacombe did you know the trevenards no i only know the farm from having it pointed out to me once when a friend gave me a drive across the moor in his dog-cart a queer out-of-the-way place what could have taken you there it was something in the way of an adventure replied maurice and then proceeded to relate his experience on that midsummer afternoon among the cornish hills he touched lightly upon his visit to penwin manor house knowing that this might be a painful subject for justina but she showed a warm interest in his story you saw his house she said the old manor house he told me about that night at ebersham oh how like the memory of a dream it seems when i think of it i should like so much to see that place you shall see it some day justina if if you will let me show it you said maurice stumbling a little over the last part of the sentence it is strange that you should be twice associated with that remote corner of the land once in your birth a second time in poor james penwin's devotion to you it is very strange sir said the comedian solemnly and then with his grand shakespearean manner continued there are more things in heaven and earth horatio than are dreamt of in your philosophy it was at borsal end i heard the name of justina said maurice going back to the subject most interesting to him there is an old picture there a portrait of the present proprietor's grandmother whose name was justina is the old grandmother living still asked matthew suddenly what blind old mrs trevenard yes she is still living but you said you did not know the trevenards only by repute i heard people talk about them rather a curious family i fancy in some respects answered maurice puzzled by the comedian's manner it seemed as if he were affecting to know less about the family at borsal end than he really knew yet why should he conceal so simple a circumstance as his acquaintance with the trevenards when maurice and justina were alone together for a short time next day the girl questioned her companion about his visit to penwin manor i want you to describe the old place she said i cannot think of it without pain yet i like to hear of it please tell me all about it maurice obeyed and gave a detailed description of the grave old mansion as he had seen it in that summer afternoon how happy he would have been there said justina how bright and fair that young life would have been i am not thinking of my own loss she said as if in answer to an unspoken question of maurice's 
i never forgot what you said about unequal marriages that evening at eversham when you came in and found me in my grief and spoke some hard truths to me i felt afterwards that you were wiser than i that all you said was just and true i should have been a basely selfish woman if i had taken advantage of his foolish impulsive offer if i had let the caprice of the moment give colour to a life but believe me when i let myself love him i had no thought of his worldly wealth it was his bright kind nature that drew me to him no one had ever spoken to me as he spoke no one had ever praised me before it was a childish love i gave him perhaps but it was true love all the same i believe that justina i believed it then when i saw you little more than a child so faithfully sorry for my poor friend's fate if i had known you better in those days i should not have called his love so foolish i should never have opposed his boyish fancy i look back now at my self-assertive wisdom and it seems to me a greater folly than james penwin's unreasoning love you must not say that remonstrated justina gently all that you said was spoken well and wisely and if providence had spared him and if he had married me he would have been ashamed of his actress wife i doubt it justina a man must be hard to please who could be ashamed of you i suppose it is very wicked of me said justina after a brief silence but i cannot help grudging those people their happiness in his house it makes me angry when i think of that cousin mr churchill penwin who gained so much by james's death i remember his cold calm face as i saw it at the inquest there was no sorrow in it he could hardly be supposed to be sorry he and james had seen very little of each other and james's death lifted him at a bound from poverty to wealth yes i can never think of him without remembering that he gained so much the murderer with his brutal greed of gain little thought that he was helping another man to fortune a man who in the evil wish may have shared his guilt you have no right to say that justina it is unjust perhaps but i cannot be temperate when i think of james penwin's murder nobody thought of interrogating the man who profited so much by his death you were suspected because you were not at your inn that night but no one asked where mr churchill penwin spent the night of the murder there was no ground for suspecting him there was the one fact that he was the only gainer by the crime he should have been made to prove himself innocent and now he is happy proud of his usurped position so far as one man can judge another man's life churchill penwin seems to me completely happy his wife is a woman in a thousand and devoted to him but i shall have the pleasure of introducing you to her some day perhaps justina do not think of such a thing i could never regard churchill penwin as a friend i hope never to see him again maurice clissold saw that this feeling about james penwin's successor was deeply rooted and he argued the question no further he was too happy in justina's society to dwell long upon discordant notes they had so much to talk about small as was the actual world in which they had mutual interest maurice had undertaken to show all the glories of london to the girl whose life hitherto had been spent in small provincial towns justina had ample leisure for sight-seeing for mr flittergilt's original comedy proved an honest success and there was no new piece yet in the rehearsal at the royal albert theatre nor had mr elgood comedian any prudish notions about the proprieties which might have hindered his daughter's enjoyment of picture galleries and museums abbeys and parks he did not care for sight-seeing himself 
for his love of art he confessed honestly was not strong enough to counterbalance certain gouty symptoms in his feet which made prolonged standing a fatigue to him let me enjoy my pipe and my newspaper and let justina see the pictures and crockery he said with reference to the south kensington museum so the two young people went about together as freely as if they had been brother and sister and spent many a happy hour among the national art treasures or in hyde park in whose deserted alleys autumn's first leaves were falling mr clissold went less and less to his clubs and became as it were a dead letter in the minds of his friends one man suggested that clissold must be writing a novel another opined that clissold had fallen in love in the meanwhile clissold was perfectly happy after his own fashion never had his mind been more serene never had his verse flowed clearer in those quiet night hours which he gave to the muses never had the notes of his lyre rung out with a fuller melody he was writing a poem to succeed the life picture a romance in verse calculated to be as popular with moody's subscribers as his first venture had been he soared to no empyrean heights of metaphysical speculation but in strong melodious verse with honest force and passion told his story of human joys and human sorrows human loves and human losses it pleased him to hear justina praise the life picture pleased him to think that he would be exalted in her eyes were she to know him as its author but it pleased him still better to keep his secret to hear her frank expression of opinion and leave her free to form her ideal fancy of the poet the prize i seek to win must be won by myself alone he thought my literary work is something outside myself i will not be valued for that one sunday that being justina's only disengaged evening maurice persuaded mr elgood to bring his daughter to dine with him in his bachelor quarters i want to show you my books he said to justina collecting them has been my favourite amusement for the last five years and i think it may interest you to see them justina was delighted at the idea mr elgood foresaw something special in the way of dinner perhaps a bottle or two of champagne so the invitation was accepted with pleasure the september evenings were shortening by this time they dined by lamplight and the bachelor's room with its dark crimson curtains and paper its heterogeneous collection of pictures prints bronzes and china looked its best in the mellow light of a pair of carcel lamps the inner room was lined from floor to ceiling with books handsomely bound most of them for mr clissel devoted all his superfluous cash to books and bookbinding to this study and sanctum the party adjourned for coffee and dessert and while mr elgood did ample justice to a bottle of old port maurice showed justina his favourite authors and expatiated on the beauty of wide margins innocent happy hours yes every whit as happy as those days of delusion in cavendish square and all this time there were all manner of distinguished people anxious to be introduced to miss elgood richmond and greenwich dinners without number which she might have eaten had she been so minded diamonds broughams sealskin jackets pug-dogs all the glories of existence ready to be laid at her feet End of volume two, chapter seven and eight.